People around the island felt the ground shake at 1.11 p.m. Sunday. The shaking continued for the next minute. It turned out to be a magnitude 6.5 earthquake that originated from Ilan's Nan'ao township. The greater Taipei area registered a magnitude of 4 from the Tembler, the strongest of the year so far. Aftershocks rippled from the epicenter just one minute after the initial quake. The two earthquakes were actually from the same sequence. They were slightly apart because they both occurred from a subduction zone. Earthquakes sometimes occur from subduction zones, but they rarely reach this magnitude. Most register between 5 and 6. Today's quake was the only one that surpassed 6 in the last two to three decades. Earthquakes in subduction zones release energy very quickly and also end very quickly. Of course, at higher magnitudes, there would be some weaker aftershocks. We believe there may likely be magnitude 4.0 aftershocks in the next three days, but there won't be many. The quake also disrupted public transportation systems, including the Taiwan Rail, the high-speed rail, and the Taipei and Taoyuan MRTs. Trains were halted until their tracks and electrical systems were fully inspected. Taiwan State Building Party legislator Chen Bowei was officially recalled after votes were counted in his district Saturday evening. Now the leader of the KMT, Eric Chu, having won his first political battle as chairman, is vowing to dish out a vote of no confidence to the DPP administration in the upcoming referendum in December. In response, Premier Su Chen-chang says the KMT's referendum proposals are unreasonable and that referendums should not be used as tools to manipulate politics. Ousted legislator Chen Bowei started his day thanking those who voted against his recall. I am really touched. It has only been a year and nine months, but so many people were willing to travel so far to vote. They weren't just catching up with a trend. They really wanted us to stay. The more than 70,000 votes against came not only from voters who made a special trip home, some also came from locals. The 73,433 votes sustained our courage. Results for Chen Boy's recall were announced October 23rd. As many as 73,433 votes were against the recall. However, even more voted in favor, a total of 77,899 votes. A margin of 4,466 votes sealed Chen's fate. Chen's recall marks the first victory since Eric Chu was elected KMT chairman. The next battle for the opposition party will be the next national referendum on December 18th, which will cover four topics. This is a this is a victory for the locals and for Taiwan's democracy. Next, the KMT will have to confront four issues in the national referendum, and we will give our all because the referendum will be a vote of no confidence for Premier Su Chang, a vote of no confidence for the DPP administration. Back then, the KMT allowed the import of beef products containing rectopamine, and now they consume beef with rectopamine. They're now vilifying pork products containing amounts of rectopamine allowed by international standards. How is that reasonable? As much as COVID restrictions allow, I will, along with my team, communicate to the public what the government is doing for its people. I also hope that the referendum can focus on relevant matters and not be politically manipulated. 
Though Chen Bowei was successfully recalled, the 77,899 votes in favor of the recall were fewer than the 112,839 votes he received when he was elected legislator in 2020. This is the first time such phenomenon occurred. After results of the recall voting came out, President Tsai Ing-wen wrote on Facebook she felt that recent recall votes revealed that there are still areas to be worked on in the development of democracy. Some say the president's post signals her desire to amend the Civil Servants Election and Recall Act once again. Recalling has become a weapon between rival parties. As for how we should resolve this, we will have to gather different opinions on the matter. According to the law, following the recalling of Chen, the second electoral district of Taichung will have to hold a by-election within three months. Potential candidates for the Pan-Green camp include Li Yuzhen from Chen's own party, DPP city councilor Chen Shikai and Zhang Jia'an, and former independent legislator Hong Ziyong. So far, the DPP has said it would respect the TSP's decision before nominating a candidate to run. The latest round of vaccinations began on Friday. This time, more than 1.8 million people are expected to get the jab in the first five days. To facilitate the vaccination process, the CECC set up an additional 12 vaccination sites across the nation, one of which is at the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall, where 12 stations operate simultaneously in an assembly line fashion. The site is staffed by medical workers from the Taipei Veteran General Hospital. According to a hospital administrator, 95% of registrants showed up for their appointment. Early Sunday morning, many people turned up at the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall to get their Pfizer vaccine. This particular vaccination site is manned by the medical staff from the Taipei Veterans General Hospital, which dispatches 140 of its personnel every day to the National Monument. With 12 stations set up to simultaneously administer shots, authorities expect to vaccinate 2.6 million people in five days. It's pretty smooth. The line was well planned and it moved without a hitch. I just took whatever was available. I didn't pick and choose. It was hard to set up an appointment at first, really hard. There were no openings. As soon as the system opened, all the slots were filled. 4,830 people received the vaccine here yesterday, so 95% of people showed up for their appointment. As far as I know, this is the highest turnup at a vaccination site. I think it's 95.3%, so everything went smoothly. As of morning of the 23rd, more than 15.55 million people had received one dose of a COVID vaccine reaching a national coverage rate of 66%. An additional 6.16 million people had received two doses, reaching a national coverage rate of 26%. As the nation's vaccine coverage rates continue to climb, Taiwan is bracing for the Lunar New Year when Taiwanese expats traditionally return home for the holidays. With quarantined hotels already nearing fully booked, many are wondering if quarantine regulations can be loosened. What's relatively more important is whether these returnees are fully vaccinated, that they got the shots 14 days prior to arrival. People in the same household should be fully vaccinated. Only then can we consider the option of home quarantine. 
Doctors feel that reinstating home quarantine is the most feasible option. However, how testing will be carried out is still an obstacle to be solved. The CECC is studying all the options for relaxing quarantine measures, whether by reducing the number of quarantine days or reinstating home quarantine. The authorities hope to make life easier for returning expats while effectively preventing the spread of COVID. The rise of gasoline prices continues. State oil refiner CPC announced that starting midnight, gasoline and diesel prices will go up by 0.6 and 0.7 NT respectively, reaching a seven-year high. 95 unleaded will be sold at 31.6 NT a liter. CPC says the high prices of fuel are due to increasing global demand for coal and natural gas. The U.S.'s announcement that COVID travel restrictions will be lifted in November also contributed to the rising demand for fuel. The Ren An Homeless Social Welfare Foundation's annual Lunar New Year banquet is entering its 32nd year. Due to the pandemic, the goods will be delivered to the guests of the banquet. Organizers are looking for donations to fund the event and offer disadvantaged groups a gift to celebrate the holidays. How can you help? Formosa News reporter Stephanie Yang has the details. Entertainer Kimmy Sha has created three illustrations to raise funds for the annual Lunar New Year banquet. Her drawings will be auctioned on the Jin An Homeless Social Welfare Foundation's Facebook page. I've been thinking about it for a long time, having seen previous editions of the banquet. The Lunar New Year banquet is funded through donations and it serves meals to people that need help. Each of my illustrations is related to food. I really hope that through this Lunar New Year banquet, we can slowly narrow the distance between us. I hope to bring warmth to more people through my drawings. We are planning to hold the auction of the Renan Homeless Social Welfare Foundation official Facebook page starting next week. The annual Lunar New Year banquet is entering its 32nd year. Due to the pandemic, instead of a banquet, food will be delivered to elderly living alone, single mothers in need of assistance, and homeless people. The New Year is a time when warmth is most needed. Many people may be alone during the New Year or living in the cold. They do not get to feel any warmth. I am very happy that the Ren An Homeless Social Welfare Foundation sends warmth to people in need. Organizers are calling on the public for more help so that underprivileged people can also enjoy a hot Lunar New Year's meal. For most of the news, Stephanie Yang, Huang Hongyu in Taipei. In 2019, Taiwan's public schools introduced a new curriculum that puts more emphasis on hands-on learning and problem-solving. It hasn't been long since the overhaul, but educators say it's already having an impact on student engagement. From open-ended technology projects that let students make mistakes to drama classes that heighten the senses, schools are slowly shifting the paradigm on what learning can be. We take you into the classrooms in our Sunday special report. Today, we've come to the Qingshan Elementary and Junior High School in New Taipei, Xizhi District. Here, a group of students are immersed in a discussion over a design project. Ideas ricochet back and forth as adjustments are made on screen. 
Their abstract concept becomes tangible with help from this laser cutter, which costs more than 10,000 NT. The steps in the process are complex, but that doesn't throw off these middle schoolers in the slightest. Meticulous measurements are crucial to get the intricate pattern carved just right on the wooden board. From coming up with a concept to making it a reality, this is a class on technology in everyday life. In the traditional technology classes, teachers make a finished product and then students replicate it. They'd follow the teacher's instructions on the process, assembly, tests. It was just an OEM mindset. What we're doing at Qingshan is letting our students explore their environment to find problems that need solutions. When the COVID-19 pandemic started, the kids discussed it with their teachers in class. We joined an online maker group. We wanted to help out medical institutions by providing face shields for all the medical staff hard at work. So the teacher offered guidance to our students on how to laser cut those things. Taiwan's new middle school curriculum offers a new variety of technology class. A key aspect of the new approach is to spark critical thinking and self-expression. If during the learning process you let children learn and work toward the things they want to do for themselves, that brings out their independent study skills. This kind of training happens to be precisely what the popular maker education is all about. Under this approach, students become makers, and education becomes about hands-on experiences. This friendly-looking soap dispenser can change color and sing. It was developed entirely by three dexterous students at the school. Their goal was to remind fellow students to wash their hands frequently during the pandemic. At the top, the main component is an infrared sensor. When it detects you, it dispenses hand soap. Then it starts making sounds. The indicator lights and the voice tell you the steps of washing your hands. While applying welding techniques, the kids get to understand how motherboards work. The students welded the pieces together themselves, and with some programming and a driver, they got the sensor up and running. Teachers are careful to guide the students rather than lecture them. It's meant to get students to actively explore instead of absorbing information passively. From the beginning, we wanted to invent something to fight the pandemic. So we started thinking about it from four angles. What do we want to change? What do we need to prevent? We also thought of some good COVID prevention measures that people often forget about. And we considered what kind of impact we wanted our invention to have. After considering these four ideas, we discovered that hand washing is the easiest and most important thing you can do. To take ideas off the drawing board and into practice, the children have to work together as a team. A student tinkers with the wiring under the car, while the other manipulates a hot glue gun on pliers. They're trying to figure out how to get the car to move along the tracks. Pulling up the thin wire and gluing it down is a true test of patience. 
会接触到轨道的这两条，然后它就会导电，通过电线之后到马达这边，然后带动齿轮，带动后轮，它就可以往前跑。那这个这这两条呢，它会导电，就是因为有这个转动器接上电，然后我们用手转的方式，它就可以往前冲。If at first you don't succeed, try again. The teacher offers advice from the sidelines. Then it's time for test number two. 我们还是会有些技能培养，可是我最后其实都会希望他们是一个开放的答案。We still get them to learn some techniques, but in the end, we want to give them an open project. We tell them, okay, we've learned these three things. Now I want you to make something that you want to create. Under this mode of instruction, children gradually learn that before making something of their own, they have to learn some other things first. They also know they'll have a chance to share their own insights at the end. In this classroom, the kids apply their knowledge and learn from their mistakes. It's a departure from the traditional classroom of their parents and grandparents, where teachers were to be followed without question. When we talk about technology education, we're not talking about teaching kids how to write a line of code, how to use a tool, or how to operate a machine. What we want to teach is a problem-solving approach, one that involves thinking and making good use of technologies to solve problems. Before technology can be used to tackle problems, students must first learn how to identify problems by observing and thinking. How do teachers instill that ability in their students? This spacious classroom has no desks or chairs. There isn't even a blackboard. Students stand in threes. The goal is to keep the pens from falling to the ground by using the tip of their index fingers. After they get a feel for the movements, it's time for another activity. The teacher switches off the lights, and the students shift around the room to music, wearing laser finger beams. Plunged into darkness, the students can't see a thing, but their other senses are heightened. I want to open up their senses. That helps them learn how to be mindful, how to observe and explore what makes them different from others. With all this movement around them, they'll find that if they're all going at different speeds, different situations arise. They might bump into somebody else. Having grown up surrounded by technology, smartphones are a daily necessity for these young people. But that technology also distances them from each other in the real world. In these drama classes, the students learn how to get close with one another once again. We have found that kids nowadays are somewhat apathetic. When they are in this state of apathy, no matter how hard you try to impart something in class, if the students' senses are not open, they won't catch anything you're throwing at them. Technology education should show them how technology can serve people, how they can go from a state of no feeling to a state of feeling with all their five senses. The innovative course design has turned learning on its head, allowing students to see themselves in a different light.
In terms of performance and expression, the seventh grade students are more proactive. They raise their hands, ask questions, and share their opinions in class more often than their eighth grade peers do. I think that the most important reason for this is that we've helped our kids build self-confidence. Whenever they raise their hand, I always let them speak. I think that if you're willing to say something, you've already made a breakthrough because you want others to know what you think. This new curriculum offers public school children an education previously found only in experimental centers. Traditionally, skills such as sharpening one's senses, recognizing problems, and putting theory to practice have been overlooked in society. But now, these new courses are getting children to think outside the box and develop their own fresh ideas, transforming the future of Taiwanese education. This whole weekend has been cold and damp in northern Taiwan, thanks to the northeast monsoon and a cloud system from southern China. But all that will go away on Monday. The Central Weather Bureau says the mercury will rise again and that the coming week will be mostly fair. The northeast monsoon will weaken during the day tomorrow and temperatures will gradually rise. In the days to come, the northeasterly winds will still affect the northern region where temperatures will fluctuate, but the range won't be that great. The highs will be between 25 and 27 degrees. The low temperatures are around 20 to 21 degrees. The moisture will begin to decrease during the day on Monday and the skies will remain fair all the way to Saturday with the exception of regions north of Taoyuan, the eastern regions and mountainous areas in the north where scattered brief showers can still occur. Central and southern Taiwan will be partly cloudy and experience large temperature swings between daytime and nighttime. People around the island felt the ground shake at 1.11 p.m. Sunday. The shaking continued for the next minute. It turned out to be a magnitude 6.5 earthquake that originated from Ilan's Nanao township. Aftershocks rippled from the epicenter just one minute after the initial quake. The two earthquakes were actually from the same sequence. They were slightly apart because they both occurred from a subduction zone. Earthquakes sometimes occur from subduction zones, but they rarely reach this magnitude. Most register between 5 and 6. Today's quake was the only one that surpassed 6 in the last two to three decades. Earthquakes in subduction zones release energy very quickly and also end very quickly. Of course, at higher magnitudes, there would be some weaker aftershocks. We believe there may likely be magnitude 4.0 aftershocks in the next three days, but there won't be many. The quake also disrupted public transportation systems, including the Taiwan Rail, the High Speed Rail, and the Taipei and Taoyuan MRTs. Trains were halted until their tracks and electrical systems were fully inspected. 